0: the eyes inside for Ian Bether. Up he goes here. The song is quick pace song looking for Crobett. Back to song Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild! That is amazing from the rugby.
1: Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. Now, we have missed Mitch for the last two weeks you've had to put up with myself and Lockie you had to put up with subpar editing and subpar just banter <laughs> on the pod so Mitch where have you been and god it's good to have you back
2: yeah I've been up in Queensland for a few weeks uh with the in-laws doing a bit of sightseeing which was always fun get away from the cold horrible winter that is Sydney at the moment and up into the warm which was good got to catch up with Lockie in person so that was fun um got to chat Lockie, was it, rugby for was like two fun. hours which was awesome
0: It was fun. I can confirm that it was fun.
1: (laughs) Okay, just needed a second opinion on that one. Sorry, Mitch, keep going. Chatted rugby for a couple of hours.
2: And then um, went over and had a check out of Ballymore and sort of saw what was going on at Reds HQ and was surprised to find there was no one around. So uh, with some of the news that's come out of there recently with players leaving and, and whatnot, I was probably not that surprised to see that there was no one around. (laughs)
1: <laughs> They've probably given away half the score already. Lockie, How's the How last did week? How you manage to dig
0: straight away? That was impressive. Wow.
1: <laughs> oh, good. Lockie, isn't it good to have uh, the second Waratahs fan back? So now things are, the, oh. the, the balance
0: has been restored. Is it good? I quite liked having um, Rev on, just having the scales tip a little in my favour, but no, it's been good. I'm very pleased and excited to be back because there's so much to talk about this week. It's been massive on the news front, so keen to rip in.
1: Brilliant. Well, we've got a lot to get through this week. So we've got the Super Rugby Pacific Final, obviously, the Wallabies squad, the Junior Wallabies have begun the Under-20s Championship with their first match against Fiji, and also we want to preview the Wallaroos match, which is on Thursday night this week. So there's a lot to do, but as always, we have two simple calls to action. Firstly, join our Discord channel to be a part of the best Australian rugby community going around. The link is in any of our social media profiles, and lastly. Please consider going to ko-fi.com slash drive rugby and supporting us with a one-off or monthly payment. Without any further ado, let's get into things: the Super Rugby Pacific final. Let's go.
2: All right, let's get into our rugby chat for this evening. So we'll start things off with the final of Super Rugby Pacific. And for most Australian rugby fans, this was probably not the final that we were hoping for. We were hoping that the Brumbies would have gotten through last week and be playing the Chiefs or the, Crus- well, the Crusaders as uh, things planned out this week. But we did end up with an all New Zealand final. Final score was 25-22 the Crusaders, yet again extending their dominant lead in Super Rugby Pacific uh, Lockie, we'll start with you. What were your initial thoughts of this game?
0: Ah, oh, frustrated, I guess, in the sense that the Crusaders keep on winning. It's it's deeply frustrating as far as the competition's concerned because I'd love to see more teams getting that title and more people engaging with their with their fan base and tapping into that sort of winners history and that winners environment. But you've got to give credit to the Crusaders. It's amazing to see them roll on seven in a row. is a bit ridiculous. But each one, they celebrate like it's their first. It's clearly embedded in everything that they do is getting to the end and winning it. And they played superbly. And I'll touch on it quickly down the line, but they played Ben O'Keefe superbly. I Mm. think the way that they managed his um, ruling on the breakdown influenced that game more than anything else.
2: Ando, this was the end of Scott Robinson's tenure as head coach of the Crusaders before he joins the All Blacks next year. Did you watch the end of this game and kind of think that this was kind of the end of an era in a sense that we might not see as dominant um, a Crusaders team moving forward from this? Uh,
1: Look, I think there's a couple of things to say there. Firstly, I'm glad we don't see any faux breakdancing anymore. Uh, Hopefully that won't be a thing. Um, Secondly... No, I don't think it will be the end of an era because for a while I just have a sneaking suspicion, a while now I've had this theory, that um, Scott Robinson isn't all he's made out to be because what's he done other than be a coach of one of the best provincial setups in the world? And I feel like I could go into that system and be the head coach and still have some pretty good games with the Crusaders under my leadership because they're so damn good. The pathways are so good and everything they do as a unit is amazing. So I don't think that with the departure of Scott Robinson, it is going to be the end of an era. Um, there might be a few more blips on the, uh, on the results in 2024, but I think there's still going to be an incredibly quality team moving down the tracks.
2: Look, you're looking at the actual game and how it played out. There was a lot of disgruntled Chiefs fans at final, the final whistle, uh, not too happy with the way some of the calls went their way in this game. Three yellow cards dished out to the Chiefs. None to the uh, to the Crusaders. What was your thought around the uh, I guess discipline or lack thereof of the Chiefs in this big game?
0: It comes down, at least from what I saw, it comes down to the Chiefs literally getting offside with Ben O'Keefe in the first ten minutes. So I think by the time that Luke Jacobson got sent off um, for the second yellow card, what turned out after Anton Leonard Brown's head high collision, they already had racked up nine penalties five of which were inside their defensive half. So immediately Ben O'Keefe's in a position where he is not tolerating anything that the Chiefs are throwing at them and he's getting physically and, you know, clearly upset and wants to have the game open. But because his role on the breakdown is so clear around rolling away from the tackle and the Chiefs weren't able to get out, it was a combination of really fast attendance to the breakdown from the Crusaders to keep Chiefs players tapped in, but also the Chiefs not adjusting and not going, okay, this is where we're getting hammered. We've got to roll away quicker. So I think they were too slow on the uptake in that regard. And by the time they sort of were able to readjust, it's already too late. They've already got Ben O'Keefe offside.
2: And one of the most controversial points in this game was the giving of the yellow card early on in the first half to Anton leonard Brown. What were your thoughts around the, I guess, the uh, judicial process in this regard? Clear head-on-head contact, very low mitigation.
1: Yeah, look, I think a lot of days you could probably see it as red card. It might be one of those finals decisions where they're not wanting to give away a red card and they kind of reduce it down to a yellow as a result of that. Um, Maybe the pressure of the occasion gets to the officiating team as well. Uh, Yeah, I I think the commentary around this game has been pretty fair in that probably should have been a red card, but it wasn't but at the same time the chief's discipline was comparatively poor and you can't expect to win a final giving away three yellow cards so really i don't think that that was the thing that um changed the nature of the game or anything like that
2: uh i guess my initial thoughts around it came from the outcome of the head clash and so anton leonard brown goes off with a yellow card but the player that he makes contact with actually fails his hi and doesn't come back at all and I know it's a pretty slippery slope if we start looking at outcomes of um, particularly HIA or uh, head contacts to see if that has any kind of say into the um, the penalty or what's handed out to the player. But the fact that the Chiefs were able to bring a player back on and Anton Leonard Brown and it wasn't upgraded to a red card um, didn't quite sit right with me considering how much of a focus we're putting on head contact tackle technique and for most for mine there wasn't enough of a mitigation or a dip in height um lucky if we look at the wider all blacks perspective from this game who do you do you think that there was any uh changes to maybe some thoughts around selection for the all blacks for um ian foster who's watching this game were there some worries that you think he might now be having particularly in terms of discipline with the way the chiefs were playing?
0: Oh, I don't think that'll be the case coming into All Black's selection. I think you know, you've got Sam Kane pretty clearly instilled as an All Black's captain and, yeah, you know, yes, he's yellow carded in a final, but his was the build-up of other penalties around him as well. So I don't think we're really going to be keeping an eye on that element. As from a performance perspective, I think that there's real noise around having Sean Stevenson in the mix. Mm-hmm. I think you'd have to consider him after another really good performance in the final. Uh, and also... Um, The hype around Amoni Narrow, I think, even in the losing side, is real. That's the first time I've had a really good look at him outside of my sort of one-eyed takes in the Reds games. And I love what he's offering on that wing. He's really efficient and effective. And then the other two that are drawn straight to mind is the influence of Sam Whitelock coming back in and how Richie Moonga has to be a lock at 10. I think those are a couple of clear lessons that you take out of a game like that.
1: Can I just jump in there as well? I think a really big thing that comes out of this too is the importance of having someone like Will Jordan just as a strike player at 15, uh, Jordan or a Stevenson. I think that having players like McKenzie and Mwanga on the field at the same time, I don't think is the best use of the resources or the quality of players that the All Blacks have. I think keep Mwanga at 10 or have McKenzie at 10 and the other one at 23 on the bench And then you have the strike players around them to make the difference because the backline has enough skills just for someone to step up as a second playmaker if needed. But, man, Will Jordan and Sean Stevenson just continue to show their class in 2023. Um, And, yeah, Imoni Narrowa is one of the hottest prospects this season and can't wait to see if he does get an opportunity in the black.
2: Which way? I want to know which way you guys both tipped this game. When you put your chips into Super Brew, if you did, Which way did you go going into this game? I'll I'll fess
0: up. Um, I backed the Chiefs. I didn't tip this officially, but I was really hoping that they'd get it done. I think I tipped them in our um another group chat. I tipped them by three, so we're close to it. But um, yeah, the Crusaders. I don't know even why I bother tipping against them come finals now.
1: yeah look for me it was chiefs all the way because i just don't give a crap that the crusaders won i've just stopped caring about them as a team they're just too good and it's just boring (laughs) i want someone else to win and um to just change the narrative and change the picture and one of the reasons why genuinely is because i've had a few i went away on um over the weekend with a couple of uh couple of mates and some of them are like ex union fans and when the results came through they were just again just being like ah it's the crusaders again who cares um, I feel like there yeah. needs to be a different narrative within the competition. And I was hoping the Chiefs would be able to bring that and they fell just short,
2: just. Just short. Well, I think that kind of wraps up our our chat for Super Rugby Pacific this year. We might go through in coming weeks, a, a bit of an, a, a review of each of the Australian teams and sort of talk around how we thought they go and give them a score. But now it's not quite the time for that. We have more exciting news to dive into and that is the Wallabies Rugby Championship squad announcement. Let's uh, let's get into that. I think Lucky, you're you're running this part, so I'll hand over the baton to you.
0: Absolutely, we'll jump straight in because this really is what we're here to talk about. An all Kiwi final doesn't really cut the mustard for me. So coming in on Sunday, we've seen the squad drop. We've got two actually that we'll go through. Um, The main Wallaby squad for the TRC and Eddie's also announced a train on squad. So we might sink our teeth into that second side at a later date, but we'll canvas them both quickly. And we have to start at the top. Massive core Eddie Jones has announced for the first time, I think in Wallaby history, co-captains. We've got Michael Hooper and James Slipper, two Wallaby Centurions who'll be running the Carter at the top. And let's go straight to you, mate. What do you make of this call?
1: Absolutely love it. And I think what it does is it provides some flexibility for Eddie Jones in terms of who he's picking within the match day 23 or even the starting 15. Because there has been um, some justifiable conversation going around about Michael Hooper's place within the starting 15. And uh, I don't think yet, well, you know what? I'll just say it. I think McWright's had a better season than Michael Hooper. And if it was just off 2023 form, then McWright would be ahead of him. Um, But it's not. There's so much more to picking a starting seven in in a World Cup year than just simply having one hot season. Um, Although... McWright's pretty damn good. But I think that having two co-captain captains means that um, Hooper can be rested justifiably and McWright given an opportunity within a game and it not being seen as anything more than an opportunity to blood a new up and coming international player but also give a senior player a rest and you still have Slipper as that leadership person on the field that can that can take the responsibility moving forward and I think that that is something really beneficial. Um, there's, there's a lot of new faces in the team, a lot of new players coming in and having two seasoned veterans being able to guide and lead this team incredibly well, I think is a good decision. So I was pretty keen on it.
0: Rich, looking at that co-captaincy angle and I guess it's so important during these Rugby World Cup years well, to have continuity in your leadership squad. So having a slipper and a hooper do you think that tag team will be in effect throughout the whole world cup with one on the bench, one in starting and what do you think that does for a squad having that continuity?
2: I really like what Eddie Jones has kind of said in press conferences and interviews after he named his squad. Uh, And it sort of highlights a few uh, selection, uh, I guess, questions or um, answers some of the questions that we've got around the way he's put this squad together. And that's adaptability and that he wants a squad that's going to be able to overcome any issues or um, disruptions that happen in a game of footy, whether it's HIA, whether it's red cards, yellow cards, whether it's injury. So that's the reason he's primarily gone with this split captaincy. So that should James Slipper or Michael Hooper get sent off or um, isn't available to play for a game, for whatever reason, we do have someone to back up. I also kind of think that he's looking a little bit to the future through this and we're not necessarily just looking at uh, Rugby World Cup twenty twenty three with this decision. From as far as we all know currently, Michael Hooper's is not playing on next year, so he won't be available as Wallaby's captain post the World Cup. Uh, James Slipper has signed on until twenty twenty five, so he will be hanging around. So I wonder if that um, allows Michael uh, allows Eddie Jones the flexibility to be able to uh, play around with the leadership group and also have a look towards the future as well. That when Michael Hooper does hang the boots up, theoretically at the end of the year. Uh, James Slipper is able to take over and um, we're not necessarily starting fresh again in 2024.
0: Yeah, a bit of a passing of the torch, you could almost say, with Hoops and Slipper, two experienced Super Rugby captains being able to take up that mantle together. It's personally really exciting to see them get that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And we'll quickly jump into the squad list in full because I'm keen to get some instant reactions around maybe some people that we thought... Uh, a surprise omission, or maybe some really interesting inclusions in the side. So we'll start with the Fords. We've got Alan Ala-Alatoa, Richie Arnold, Matt Fazler, Nick Frost, Matt Gibbon, Jed Holloway, Michael Hooper as co-captain, Tom Hooper, Rob Leota, Fraser McWright, Zane Nongor, David Parecki, Pete Samu, Will Skelton, James Slipper as co-captain, Tadiela Tupo, Jordan Ulessi, and Rob Valentini. I'm Mitch, throwing it back to you, mate, give us a couple of names that stand out from that list.
2: I guess the first ones that jump out to me of uh, kind of shock inclusions, Jordan Ulessi, first of all. I don't know how um, or what he's been presenting at Wallabies camp and what we've seen so far, but the not to say that he's had a bad 2023 for the Rebels, but I thought Lockie Lonergan was a little bit more consistent. So... Um, particularly around injury and, and, and game time on the field. So I, I kind of, if I was selecting, I'd be putting Lockie Lonigan in over willessi But obviously Eddie Jones knows more than I do and he should be because he's getting paid the big bucks. And
0: uh, is the surprise inclusion from Mitch. Who would you say is a
2: surprise pick in that forward pack?
0: Uh, Zane Nongor. What's he doing there, mate? Can you tell me that? Zane Nongor. Well, I was surprised too. He's had a solid season and I think that he's been a relatively a big part of the Reds' late season. I don't know if you'd call it a surge, but certainly against the Chiefs and being able to have some good results towards the end without Teniel Tupo. I think he has stood up. Whether he stood up for gold selection, I guess Eddie will justify that over the next few weeks, but it was a shock to me as well.
1: Yeah, um, look, that was that was the big one that really surprised me. Uh, Jordan Ulessi was pretty interesting as well, like you've already mentioned. One thing to be considering there is that um, whilst Lucky One again has had a heap more game, to- game time this year, basically 700 minutes compared to 400 minutes for Ulessi. Um, Ulessi uh actually, no, my point, I misread the page. Lucky Lonegan has also scored five tries to zero for this season, and ULAC has also received two yellow cards. So if we just base it purely on statistics and game time on the pitch and the amount of points scored, then I'm finding it really hard to understand that inclusion. But at the same time, if you look at it just in terms of Uh, frame and size of human body uac is a good option there and he has been one of the kind of favorite picks of previous coaches in the past he's somebody that was identified in an early age and maybe didn't fulfill his promise uh nelson dale likes to call him the prince that was promised and so maybe this is a time (laughs) where he can rise up to the throne that has been prepared for him
2: I prefer to call them oh, the them glass prince. Them sparting words, Mitch. <laughs> them
1: fighting words. You can call him the glass prince, mate. It's 2023, mate. Come on.
0: So looking at that list through, there's a couple of names that have also stuck out from an omissions point. Um, both of these players have been selecting the train-on squad, which we'll dive into next week. But on face value, not seeing a Caden Neville and a Harry Wilson in a TRC squad was of mm. great interest to me as a Fords guy, as a Reds fan as well, not seeing um, Big Harry there. Very surprising, personally. (laughs) Ando, what was your take on those two missing out? Yeah,
1: look, there are a few players that are pretty unlucky. We've already mentioned Lockie One again. You've just said Caden Neville, Harry Wilson. We've also got Hunter Paisami and Jock Campbell, not included. There's not a single um, 15 except for Tom Wright included within the squad, like a standalone kind of fifteen. Uh so that that's really interesting that we don't have somebody else there. But in terms of Caden Neville. You jump in ahead. I it? know, I know, I know. But in terms of Caden Neville, uh sorry, Harry Wilson is what you're asking. Harry Wilson. Um I'm not sure he has had a better season that definitely hasn't had a better season than Rob Valentini. And who else would you maybe be putting him in there ahead of?
2: Pete Samu, I guess. Can I jump in on this point? Yeah, yeah, go. go. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite concerned with our depth at number eight in this squad. Uh, to mine, Rob Balotini the only one that's really putting his hands up for that starting jersey. Outside of him, should he go down injured, we're putting in a makeshift second rower or back rower into the eight position who hasn't played a lot there. Pete Samu, Rob Leoda. It's kind of concerning to me that we haven't got a player like Harry Wilson as a backup for Rob Leoda. Um, sorry, as a backup for Rob Valentini.
1: Yeah, I think Pete Samu would be a pretty decent call insofar as he actually packs down at eight a lot of the time um, for the Brumbies. So it's not as though it's particularly unfamiliar, but he definitely doesn't have the same carrying game that Rob Valentini and Harry Wilson have. So, look, I think if Valentini wasn't go down injured, Harry Wilson's the first one to be called into mm. the squad.
0: And bearing in mind, he isn't that train on. I'd also like to canvas that there is a rehab group that's been announced. Um, that and also yep. a couple we'll touch on in a tick um, Josh Kemeny is a utility which I'm keen to unpack but in that rehab group for the Fords we've also got Angus Bell yeah. and Langy Gleason and Matt Phillip so there's a couple of options that are on the side waiting getting better as we go through um, but as Ando alluded to before with a couple of the backs calls we'll jump into the backs list now and reading from top to tail we start off with Quade Cooper Lalakai Faketty, Carter Gordon Reese Hodge Len Iketau, Marika Korabetti, Ryan Lonnigan, Tate McDermott, Mark Nwanganidawazo, Isaiah Perazzi, Siliasi Vunivalu, Nick White, and Tom Wright. So you mentioned before Tom Wright being the only fullback and the fullback's an interesting position that we're looking at now because that has been quite the topic of debate. Mitch, do you see a fullback outside of Tom Wright in this list?
2: Immediately jumps to mind is the utility players that we've selected. So we've got Ben Donaldson, Josh Kemeny, and Dylan Peach. Now, as a New South Wales Waratahs fan, I'm surprised to see Donaldson included all together. Um, I'm even more surprised to see Dylan Peach selected as a utility as opposed to an out-wing. and out, an out wing. Um, I kind of would have thought that Mark Nwanganitawasi might be considered as a potential utility back as opposed to Peach, considering that he has played fullback and he has played wing. He probably could play centre at a pinch. Uh, He probably has the physique more of a winger as opposed to Peach being more of a centre. But for mine, Peach hasn't got the runs on the board at any position other than wing at super rugby level. So to see him included uh, as a utility is confusing, but it sort of identifies to me that both of those players, Ben Donaldson and Dylan Peach, are considered backup fullback options.
0: That utility one's a really interesting tape because a lot of the discussion already around it has been yes you're covering multiple positions but it's also across the forwards and the backs in the case of two of those players so Eddie's flagged Kemeny as a potential wing option and Peach (laughs) as a potential as a potential (laughs) loose forward cover as well so we're looking at like a Radiki Samo 2011 v Russia situation where you find the big man out on the wing and uh, is there a need for this kind of utility role that Eddie's carving out
1: Look, I think um, I think he's trying I wonder I wonder if he's trying to instill within a team a level of tactical flexibility and creativity that perhaps we haven't had previously. So if a player was to go down and we'd used up all of our subs and the like, do we have people within the squad that can fulfill multiple roles? And Josh Kemeny X uh, is he X7s? I'm trying to think off the top of my head, peaches but either way, X7. he's got pace peaches, X sevens, yeah. um, but either way, Kemeny has pace and he has really good athleticism. So he could add a pinch as Eddie mentioned, uh, fill in on the wing in a situation if we absolutely needed to and dylan peach because of his seconds sevens background at the very least knows where to put his head in a scrum and that that's not something that all backs know how to do so there's a lot to be kind of uh said within that flexibility sense but i wonder how much of this is just smoke and mirrors and mind games from eddie and (laughs) I, i really don't know what to do with it
0: yeah that wouldn't sound like the puppet master at all uh, we've got a couple more backs in the rehab group as well. Andrew Kellaway, Samu Karevi, and Jordan Pataya uh, are classified in this group, and they're not considered for selection due to injury. We've got Max Jorgensen, Tom Robertson, Isaac Rodder, and Corey Toole. Now, gentlemen, we've got to put it straight on the table. There is a name that's not in this list, and it's not in the train-on list. That name is Noah Lollisio. Mitch, how does that hit? Carter who, <laughs>
1: Noah who, Carter who, Carter who.
0: <laughs> it's that's a, I mean, say what you like, but that's a huge call pulling one of the heir apparents to the Wallaby ten. Uh, at least it seems on face value to be a big call. What, what's your initial impression, Mitch?
2: I wonder if it comes down to Eddie Jones purely not wanting to go down the path that Dave Rennie did. Um, he has. There was two interesting questions that were put to Eddie early on in the press conference after this squad was announced and the first, and they were both around the captains. The first one was a a journalist asked, why did you go with co-captains? We've never had that before. And he says, we want to do things differently. And then another journalist asked, well, you've picked two guys who've captained the wallabies in the past year. That's not different. And then he go and Eddie's response was, well, we're not necessarily doing things differently. We're just doing them better. So part of me wonders whether. Dave Rennie, had. you can say what you want about his, uh, I guess, commitment to Alessio in the past three years, selecting him, dropping him, putting him in squads, kicking him out again. But I wonder if Noel Alessio is kind of missed out on this squad purely from Eddie Jones's choice not to go down the same path that Dave Rennie did. It's an
0: interesting I also take also as just well.
1: Think, sorry, you go, Adam. Sorry, I'll, I'll jump in there. I also just think that, like, well, Alessio actually hasn't had the best season. Um, we we can talk about his previous Wallabies experience and you guys know how, in a way, defensive I've been about the treatment and kind of long-term planning around Wallace's time in the Wallabies. But he hasn't been particularly good this season and even in the finals run, he was getting swapped out for Jack Debrasini as well, who was a preferred starter. Now, a lot of that comes down to the strength of the Brumbies squad as a whole, but I can, I can see some of the reasoning as to why he may not have been included in the kind of 33-man squad, but for him to not be in a training squad as well, that that's just mind-boggling. That's really, really hard to understand.
2: I think there is a little bit of an asterisk to go with that point, though. Like, Lalesio copped a, a HIA going into the finals, so he missed the first week because he wasn't available for selection. Mm. So some of those t- decisions were forced on the Brumbies. So I don't know if we can necessarily say that he wasn't selected because he wasn't playing well enough. It was because he wasn't actually available for selection. So, if you talk to Stephen Larkham, Stephen Larkham reckons he's the best ten in Australia at the moment, and I mean he's going to back his guy. That's that's what he does um, as his coach and as his Super Rugby, I guess, um, what's the word, mentor. Uh, but yeah, the fact that he's not even listed in this train on squad slash Australia A means it's huge. And this
0: actually feeds on really nicely from a point that you raised earlier, Ando, I'll buy indirectly, which is, yes, Noah didn't make this train on squad or the Wallaby squad, but neither did Jack Debrissini, who was copping a yep. lot of praise and a lot of interest from parties as a bolter. So the two pivots for the Australian team that went the deepest haven't been considered at all.
1: And I guess in a way it just shows, like you look at... Who are the out-and-out flyhards? Well, it's Quade Cooper and Carter Gordon as the two because Donaldson's listed as utility and we saw he actually played a decent amount at 15 as well over the last couple of seasons. So I can understand Donaldson being called a utility and really, do you need more than that within a squad? Because you're not going to have two tens within your 23-man matchday squad. And so if one of them gets injured, you call one of the reserves over um, to join wherever the team is. But realistically... 3 is enough 2 plus utility is enough within a 33 man squad um again if we expand our topic out to the training uh, squad that's different but within the 33 i can i can really understand why uh quade cooper and carter gordon has been chosen because carter gordon
2: is arguably the form 10 a form australian 10 in super rugby pacific i think and if ben donson's listed as utility what do you think reese hodge is chosen for what position yeah that's a really good question um maybe fullback maybe fullback i think that's our. i think he's our backup fullback hmm. Lots answering yeah, lots, question to, lots
0: to unpack through that space as well so we will get an opportunity um further down the track dear listeners to unpack this in a bit more detail alongside the train on squad um, but I think we're going to roll along now to our Wallaby jerseys. Now, very big debates coming out about this one. I want <laughs> to start with you, Mitch. We've got a gold, and that's what we're going to be wearing the entire campaign, unless we meet Romania in what looks like a semi-final. We can probably write that one off. But what is our first impression <laughs> of our Wallaby gold jersey?
2: Look, at first they didn't. I wasn't too keen on the idea of uh, just. It, it's very similar to what we've had in the past. Uh, you compare this to the 2019 World Cup, and apart from the the tinge or the the orangeification, orangeification, if that's a word, of the jersey in the last few years, it's pretty similar. Um, I was really hoping to have some of the First Nations design that it's depicted on the away jersey incorporated into the home jersey. I know they have said that on the player issue jerseys, they're going to incorporate that design. Uh, behind the player collar and in the player numbers. But I would have just loved to have seen it included on the the jersey in some way um, as it is. The away kit looks cool. Hang on, hang on. I don't on, hate the design, it, yeah. uh, the white. <laughs> he's itching, he's itching to go.
0: Oh, we'll, we'll take that opportunity then, Ando. Away kit, let loose.
1: Mate, I freaking love it. I don't, the, people have been crapping on it so much and I love it I think it's great and out of the two of them I'm going to buy the away kit first I I'm going to get that one first because there's no other jersey that we've had in as long as I know that looks like it um and I really like the clean look and I like the indigenous strip on the sides and on the like shoulders as well I I think I really 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 enjoy it Mitch were were you going to share similar positives or do you have some reservations about it
2: uh yeah, not, not too similar. Um <laughs> it stumps me the fact first of all, it stumps me the fact that we have to go white. Um the second and we know that's all around World Rugby's idea of having to cater for colorblind and, and all and jersey clashes and whatnot. But the thing that irks me is that we designed this jersey and however it looks, if you like it or you don't, that's fine. But we've come out and said that we're actually not gonna wear it. There was talks that we were gonna wear it in our last pool game against portugal i think it was but rugby australia has since changed their mind and said no actually we're going to wear the gold jersey all the way through that's our clash kit and should as lucky said before i think it was romania should romania make the final which is realistically never going to happen we're not going to have to wear it so in that regard i would have loved to have seen the first nation design as i said before incorporated into the home one i'm also confused as to this like star pattern that's across it is it, across both it doesn't nearly come across at all in the home jersey but in the way this star pattern it's I've, I've read online that it's supposed to be like a boomerang design um as far as i'm aware boomerangs don't take corners so i'm not quite sure why it's like star and, and pointed
0: and you can see the full range up on wallaby shop and through asics as well to go through some of the other options they've got their anthem kits a whole bunch of other things so it's worth having a peek and seeing what's on offer but Certainly a bit of conversation around, and I want to bring this up really quickly. Where's a classic collar? Where's a classic old school <laughs> collar for old times' sake? I just thought I'd pop this one out just as a little reference point, but it's a, just it screams success and naughty's rugby to me when you pop a collar on. But I'll, la- I'll leave it there. We'll drag it on, otherwise I'll go on a rant. <laughs> um, we're going to quickly look at our junior wallabies now jumping across. They've got themselves an early win. Take us away, Ando. How good to see the boys getting the dub. Absolutely brilliant, and
1: it was a really, really entertaining game as well. The Junior Wallabies opened their under-20s championship account against the Flying Fijians, and they came away 46-37 to victors, but in no way, shape, or form was this a comfortable encounter, and the Fijians actually took the lead within the second half as well. Uh, incredibly accurate goal-kicking, uh, converting all the opportunities that they had whilst we were struggling with the kicks as well. Mason Gordon did not have his radar on. Um, but just to give a little bit of context, we'd played three times previously the under-20 championships and had won every time convincingly. We'd also beaten them pretty heavily in the last time in the Oceania rugby under-20s as well. So the history was in our favour, but Fiji didn't seem to know that. And every single time that we got a try, they seemed to storm back afterwards, force an error, and then capitalize upon that missed opportunity. And it was only um, their... Did they receive it? No, that a yellow card um, at one point, which gave us a numerical. We advantage. got a red card. Yeah, yeah, we got a red card as well. Um, to our number one, I've forgotten his name, um, Marley Pierce. But
0: it,
1: Marley Pierce. He'd had a really good game actually up until that point. He'd been kind of one of my standout players up until then. Um, but gents, who caught this? Lockie? Did he catch this game?
0: What were your thoughts having watched it? I, di- I did. I watched it in full, and I. Have I didn't watch it at the time though I was not getting up at twelve thirty for it but watched it in the morning and <laughs> one name that stood out to me was massive both just physically and what he did on the field Liafi Talatina I'm sure I'm butchering his name so I apologise but big number eight Rebels Academy prospect he was everywhere he was so so good so from the first kickoff he's out annihilating blokes and then goes through the whole game he's got one or two tries this from memory would have been near the top of the tackle count, and he gets the match ceiling breakdown steal for um, us to kick a final penalty to secure a bonus point win and make sure the Fijians don't get one. He is something special. I really, really enjoyed his running game as well. Just at a good, aggressive, abrasive number eight, the kind of back row that we're always talking about in Australia. You know, we need an enforcer. We need a scary bloke. He's scary. He's scary straight (laughs) off the bat. So he stood out for me.
1: Uh, coming in on a slightly different scale to him was David Vaihu within the back line. I think he was playing at 12, um, brother of Glenn mm-hmm. Vaihu down at the Rebels. And he, he had a really, really strong game in the backs, particularly in a way he was able to kind of uh, cut under or cut in and run that really hard unders line. Um, set up a couple of excellent opportunities for the backs in and around him with that hard ball carrying within the backs. So that was impressive as well. Um, And Mitch, Darby Lancaster, he is just an incredible player on the sevens
2: circuit, and he was able to show his goods here as well. Yeah, again, a player that's come out of this sevens program and is just absolutely firing. Corey Toole in Super Rugby Pacific this year is just going from strength to strength. Darby Lancaster in the under-20s as well. Like, but all of these guys, as soon as they're in space, they just look so comfortable. Mm-hmm. When they've got the ball in hand, they just make the right decision all the time. He's definitely going to be a big prospect moving forward. Not exactly sure how much of Super Rugby he's going to play in the immediate future. I would imagine that John Manenti wants to keep his hands on him in the sevens program as long as he can. But he's he's going to be really good rugby player once he does get finish up in the sevens and move across to the fifteens as he's shown. And in how exciting! Uh, Lucky, what do you think
0: that we had those three players that we're just talking about, well, they're all Rebels. They're all Rebels players. And, you know, Melbourne gets canned for, you know, not having development, not having people come through. But Lafayette Talatani is a massive inclusion for them. He's an academy prospect. You've got David Vai who partnered up with Glenn Darby, Lancaster coming into the system. It's a really good sign for Victoria and be coming through that these are the stars of the under-20s team so far.
2: Yeah, definitely. It might be a bit premature, and no doubt we'll talk about it in future, but... How stacked is this Rebels team looking in the next few years? What is it going to take for people to actually turn up and support this team? <laughs> when are people in other states going to start rocking the uh, the merch around? Relocating Canada? a Those question.
1: A question for another time. A question for another time, boys. Um, yeah. But just jumping ahead, then the next match is coming up. Uh, I can't remember the exact date, but it's against Ireland. Um, that will be the next game, and that is when my I got a squint. Uh, 7 p.m. 29th. 29th, okay, so four days away Twenty nine today. And the 29th is Thursday. So it'll be Thursday at 7 p.m. So make sure you ha- tune into Stan Sports. It's all available there. And also the um, World Rugby website has a pretty good um,
2: pretty good kind of match centre and the like that you can get all the details there as well. So strongly And if encourage- anyone hasn't seen the other games... On stand sport from this tournament, both Ireland and England played before the Australian team and they had a stalemate, I think it was 34 all. Yep. So there's some big games coming up for the junior Wallabies moving forward.
1: Yeah, definitely. So we're, we're in a tough squad, uh, tough pool, I should say, but there is a lot of hope moving forward considering that the last time this went ahead, we went through into the finals and only lost to the... Uh, only lost to France in the actual final. So a lot of hope for us moving ahead, which now leads us into some further international action, which is the Wallaroos versus the Black Ferns. The game is going to be played Thursday this week at 7pm at Dolphin Stadium in Moreton Bay. Lockie, how excited are you to see the Wallaroos run out for the first time? Well, not for the first time, I should say, but for the second time in
0: 2023? Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait. It's a funny one heading out to um, sort of Moreton Way and watching it at Dolphin Stadium. Um, I would have loved it to be in Brizzy and get a chance at Court, but super excited. We're really hopeful that we're going to be close to a sellout. That's what I'm hearing, that, you know, the tickets are creeping up then 10,000 is not unachievable. It is within the realm of possibility. So I would love to be part of that packed house. I cannot wait to get up there. And the last time I saw them was at the World Cup last year uh, in the pool stages up at Fungarei when we beat Scotland and Wales. So, can't wait to get around the girls again stacked squad with a few of the girls playing prim mm-hmm. 15s coming back M chance Caitlin Leaney, Arabella mckenzie we've got we've got stacks of talent.
1: Without a doubt. And I think that the international players or the the overseas players coming back into the squad is going to make a big difference. Uh, One of the key things that we should mention is that it is likely that Piper Duck's uh, foot injury seems to um, be keeping her out of this upcoming game. So Mitch, who do you think is going to be taking on the on-field captaincy duties in Piper Duck's absence?
2: Look, if I was head coach, I know I'd be going with um, Emily Chancellor, but the fact that she's just come back to Australian shores, didn't play Super W this year, doesn't have some of the connections with the newer girls that are in the squad probably puts her out of selection. So I I f- would expect to see potentially Grace Hamilton yep. um, be given the captain. Yep, fair enough. Okay, Lockie, couple of players that stand out to
1: you from this squad, Go.
0: For this squad, I'm really excited to see if Leilani Nathan gets a chance. I was really impressed with her Super W season. And also, I know she had a crack early on, but getting um, Faitala Maleka, um, having a run from the Brumbies again. She started at 15 for a memory against Fijiana. but I think it's such an exciting um, role player to have in the mix as a playmaking fullback who can inject herself into the line. It's going to be tough given you've got the likes of um, McKenzie coming back in, who automatically fills that kind of role, and then Laurie Kramer down the track, but really keen to see her get a shot. And um, also, just for those Queensland players to be able to get a chance and run out um, in Southeast Queensland, I hope there's as many Reds as possible rolling into that team. <laughs>
1: As there should be. Uh, for me, a couple of players I'm incredibly excited to see, hopefully get some game time, is Desiree Miller and Jasmine Hurwai. So we've spoken about Jasmine Hurwai in the past and what she brings as a scrum half, probably off the bench with Piper Dock most likely starting. Um, sorry, not Piper Doc, uh, Lane Morgan most likely starting. Um, and Desiree Miller has just had a fantastic season for the Waratahs, excellent uh, place kicker as well. So she could be someone to take on the kicking duties if Laurie Kramer is not starting on the field. Uh, Mitch, for you, mate, we've we've named a fair few players at this point, but is there anyone new or old that you're excited to see run out onto the field?
2: Um, as Lockie said, those girls coming back from England have had such a good year so far over there, so I'd be interested to see how they go and if they can bring in something different uh, that potentially they haven't been up against in Super W this year. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing some of the the big girls up front as well have a good crack. Eva Carpani is mm-hmm. always great to watch, and um, Emily Robinson as well. They get along. Brady or, go, or Gorman, um, I think that's where this game's going to be won or lost. If we can really hit them at set piece, so expect a big um, big performance from the big girls up front. And uh, where do we think Ash Masters
1: is going to be taking to the field, Lockie? Do you reckon she'll be at fullback this week?
0: Well, rumour has it they're actually trying to clone her at the moment down on the Gold Coast and mm. just put her in a full 15, um, which wouldn't be a bad shout, but I love the idea of her letting loose as a six and just telling her to go around and target ribs. I know there's going to be a huge, huge impetus on shutting her down, given that she almost single-handedly won us a game against Fiji. So I imagine that the Black Ferns girls will be putting their Lucies on Ashley Master's watch and going from there and just quickly as well. Imagine being Karis Dowlinger's ribcage when you're coming up against 23 of your former (laughs) teammates in New Zealand. If you're pulling on a gold jersey against the Black Ferns, that's just gonna be unreal.
1: That'd be a very, very fun experience. I'm sure there'd be a lot of intent during the game, but love and hugs after the game as well. Uh, So on that note, why don't we finish things there? It has been a bit of a lightning pod guys. I think this is one of our best in terms of uh, brevity and staying to the point. So Mitch, maybe you should go away again and come back because um, it seems to have done good (laughs) things to our recording times, well done.
2: Well, Endo, it looks like you're up for a break mm. next. How how long are you going to be away from Mate, I'm going for... to be away
1: from Tuesday for two weeks. So I will not be uh, available this weekend or the following weekend. I'm flying off to uh, Washington uh, on Tuesday. On Tuesday. So that'll be fun. Exciting time.
2: Try and get a little bit of MLR action in while you're over there hopefully. well i'm
1: going to a baseball game and i know nothing about the sport and i don't even know what teams i'm going to see but i've been told by students in my class they suck so i'll be going to a baseball game and eating a hot dog at the stadium which is going to be very exciting that's that's the main thing i want to do or want get one of those nachos hats um <laughs> where you can like dip it into the room no, i want to do that if i can buy that i'll be happy
2: uh, the land cool. of culture very cool Oh,
1: yep. <laughs> Going from Australia to uh, to America, both renowned uh, histories and lands of culture. Correct? Yes.
2: All right. Well, thanks for everyone for getting to this part of the podcast. We'll finish it up there. Ando's off for two weeks, so lucky. Looking forward to chat, diving further into this Wallaby squad next week. We might look at the the wider training squad that Eddie has named. Sort of try and figure out what Eddie's doing when he says he's naming a thirty four man squad and ends up naming seventy something plus players. <laughs> Uh, but we will um, also maybe have a chance of putting our first 15 together for that first test against the Springboks in a few weeks. So um, if you at home listening want to send in your suggestions and let us know what you think Eddie's first 15 is going to look like, do let us know. Might put something out later in the week um, and then we can go through it next week. So thanks, everyone. Uh, We'll see you in two weeks, Ando, and we'll catch you then. Bye. Bye.